Welcome to the GSI Briefing Podcast. I am Regina Agia, President of the Garden State Initiative. This week, we are fortunate to have with us State Assemblyman Brian Bergen, who has served in the legislature since January 2020, where he is a member of the powerful Appropriations Committee. Notably, Assemblyman Bergen is also a combat veteran who served with distinction for eight years in the U.S. Army. In addition to his bachelor's degree from West Point, the Assemblyman earned an MBA from the Rutgers Business School and a master's degree from the University of Phoenix. In business, Assemblyman Bergen has worked in multiple industries and he is the owner of Bergen Botanicals, an interior landscape company. He's a true entrepreneur. Previously, he was a Denville Township Councilman from 2017 to 2019. Brian and his wife, Kristen, and their two children, Samantha and Justin, who with his crazy schedule, I'm surprised he ever gets to see them, they all reside in Denville. Here now is my conversation with New Jersey State Assembly member, Brian Bergen. Assemblyman, thank you for your service, both in the military as well as the legislature, and thanks so much for being with us today. It's my pleasure. I'm excited. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about. And, you know, a lot of issues I know that you take up every year concern our veterans and there's a special focus for you. And there've been many that you've addressed, but let's talk about one that's a little bit more current. We'll start with the news from the Biden Department of Justice, who last month released a scathing 43-page report documenting the horrific conditions at our state-run veteran nursing homes. And then more recently, a New Jersey state organization put out a report and said that the state-run homes were, quote, unprepared for the massive absenteeism by frontline staff in those initial weeks. And they mismanaged, in fact, securing replacement staff. And so it left the current staff overwhelmed. Now, Assemblyman, you released a what I would call a blistering statement about the inadequacy of Governor Murphy's response to these reports. And what he did amounted to little more than adding another staff position to advocate for veterans and I believe created a new cabinet member to direct report to the governor. So as a veteran, Assemblyman yourself and a state legislator, could you share with our listeners how you would have approached this calamity differently? And now what do you want to see happen going forward? I think the root cause of the problem to begin with is that we don't really take veterans issues seriously in the state. We we really don't. And the Military and Veterans Affairs Committee meets in both the Assembly and the Senate, and they pass really just feel-good legislation through most of the time for veterans. I refer to it as, you know, free beach badges and half off at the Turtleback Zoo and, and stuff that doesn't actually move the needle for our veterans. And and so while people are in the, the legislature are so focused on doing things that make them feel good and sound good and they can go glad hand people at VFWs and American legions and tell them they're doing something. They're ignoring the major issues. And the fact that we are actually here as, as a government to protect people and particularly our veterans. And so the root cause, in my opinion, of all this is that we don't have any oversight. We don't take it seriously. We don't do meaningful bills. We don't pay a lot of attention to these veterans' homes. We don't provide oversight to them. So that is the crux of the problem, in my opinion. We have to do a much better job of taking veterans' issues seriously in this state. 
Now, Governor Murphy hasn't handled any of this well. He had a terrible COVID response in general, but then doesn't hold people accountable for what they're doing in these veterans' homes at all. And his initial solution, along with some members of the legislative body, is to split out the Veterans Affairs section from the National Guard, which may be a great idea. I don't know. But the problem is it's a reactionary step. And they're not actually doing the work to determine whether or not that's the right thing, which will require hearings and oversight and discussion and debate and deliberation from both sides. And that's what's missing in this. It's an initial reaction to cover the fact that they did a poor job without a whole lot of thought. So the way to do it is to take our role in government seriously and deliberate and discuss and debate and come up with good answers. And if we do that, then we'll come up with the best possible solution. And I don't know what it is. I could guess. I could tell you my opinion in particular. But that doesn't mean that it's the end all be all 100 percent answer. And we got to do our due diligence there. And they're not doing it. As you say, as a group, there are many issues that need to be addressed to support the veterans. And I I have to agree that it does seem to be both reactionary and narrow in terms of how we can best deliver what we need to in the state to veterans. Although you're one of the few veterans in the legislature, aren't you? Right. We're a dwindling population, actually. I think there might have been 12 when I first got there, and I think we're down to four. And being in the minority, the Republican Party, as you're a member of uh, being in the minority. I know it's been difficult and and you're generally a conservative is a double challenge for you. I know. I remember you saying to me one day, Brian, that, you know, you view your role in the minority like the safety on a football team. And I believe your quote is that, you know, you're probably going to score on me, but you're going to feel it going by. That's true. That's right. I thought it was a great analogy uh, because I've seen many of your remarks from the floor on uh, bills that you just didn't agree with. But you have been successful and you scored a win last year by successfully getting an amendment through to include service disabled veterans in a bill targeting economically and socially disadvantaged businesses. I know you recall that GSI did a report last year with a retired veteran as well on the state's poor performance in awarding contracts as required. To veteran-owned businesses. So tell us about the bill that you got through and how that'll help veteran employers and potential employees. Yeah, you know, it's pretty ironic about that particular bill. Uh, and you, you mentioned that I'm I'm conservative, um, but, I, but that bill got me a negative uh, rating from the conservative groups. The CPAC rated me negatively because that bill helped subsects of the community, including disabled veterans in this case, get some preferential treatment and contracts, which they don't agree with. So it's kind of conservative nowadays is a loose term. And I guess I don't fit in many boxes, including just that one alone. But this this bill was great. What happens sometimes is they'll put up bills and they attempt to help out certain groups of people to get set asides in the particular bills. And in this one, they were leaving out the disabled veterans. And my rule is very simple. I can support set-asides as long as veterans are included. And any bill that comes up for any set-aside for any person that doesn't include the disabled veterans will not get my approval, ever. And they know this. And so in this particular case, it came across one, and I made the case that, that veterans should be included in this. And there was some pushback, of course, but I actually use one of my colleagues. So when you are as uh, aggressive as I can be, it can be more challenging to get something that you want accomplished by the minority. But the great thing is we all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. And some of my colleagues have better, more cordial relationships with our peers on the other side. 
So in this particular case, I asked one of my colleagues to advocate for it in the committee. And it was Bob Auth, actually, Assemblyman Auth, who's a great, a great member of the legislature. So he carried the water for me in that case and and made the argument in a committee and got the disabled veterans added. So back to your point a little bit earlier, I have a very key role I play the safety on the football field, you can't be every position. So I'm that position typically where I'm spending a lot of my time making them think before they go through with things because I'll be involved and I'm going to call them out on it. That limits my ability to do other things. Mm -hmm. But by working with my peers, I can accomplish some other things by asking Assemblyman Off to support me and use his connections to do that, which was successful in this case. Or sometimes I'll actually have a bill drafted and I'll give it away to somebody on the other side of the aisle who is a covert friend of mine. And then my name won't appear on the bill at all, ever. And it will eventually go through, ideally become law in some cases. And my name is not necessarily on it, but the idea it was generated by me and my work and my research. And it's equally as rewarding for me because at the end of the day, it's all about getting good things accomplished. So that's kind of how you balance the roles that you have to play in the legislature in order to get things done. So I want to just go back real quick to mention the set-asides and how they're not being done. For our veterans, it's it's awful that we have this, I believe it's 3% set aside for our vets, and, and we're not taking the concerted effort to get that done. And again, it's one of these things that feels good to say out loud, but we're not really serious about it. That's really what the whole report was about, right? That right. is this opportunity to serve a constituency uh, in much more than words. And it's there for the taking, but they're not executing on it. No, they're not. And and it won't take a whole lot of effort to do. You just got to just tell everybody you're serious about it and you want these departments to do it and they will do it. I mean, if the governor was to say tomorrow, listen, you're failing at this, you will get better at it and make it, make it work. They would make it work. Absolutely. You know, every every contract really virtually goes through uh, the treasury, you know, in the contracting process. And you can put uh, requirements in there very easily. Yeah. We just got to want to do what we're saying we're doing. And particularly around veterans. And that's what gets me so fired up in the legislature a lot is around veterans related stuff, because the veterans deserve our respect and they deserve more than just the words. They deserve action. And I appreciate the report and everything that you've done on this particular issue to highlight it because it's a shame. And it's about our veterans, but it's also about the good of our state. When veterans are successful and we create a place where veterans want to start and grow businesses, it's better for the community as a whole. Veterans are typically more successful small business owners. You want veterans to want to start and grow small businesses here because they're more likely to succeed. They're more likely to want to give back and it makes a better community. So it's not just for the vets, but it's a better community model. Right. I 100% agree. You said before you don't fit into many boxes, but you right. also you come with many perspectives. In addition to your military service, you're also a business owner, which is also, I think, an asset having someone like yourself in the legislature who has to actually, as they say, make payroll you know, every week. That's true. Anybody who's listened to this who is a business owner, we need you in government need you. Because if you've never signed a paycheck, if you've never run a business, people just don't get it. Give yep. you one example. There was one bill that was passed by one of my colleagues on the other side, and they argued vehemently against it. And it had to do with uh, requirements for employee notification if you're going to put tracking devices on vehicles that your company owns. The first draft of it was making the business owner a criminal if they put a tracking device on their own vehicle 
and didn't properly in writing notify an employee. It was insane. And so I said to them how ridiculous it was and how most people don't even know about the laws we passed anyway. And the guy's solution was, well, they could just send out a memo. I'm like, listen, we're not talking about Amazon.com here, okay? I'm worried about the local dry cleaner on the corner who's not going to know about hey. this rule. And really, they're going to send a memo to their employees? I mean, it's just the stupidity, honestly, of some of these things that go through because of, of lack of care to understand what it's like to be that person who's got to implement these things. So. I really would love more business owners, more veterans. Let's bring teachers in, more te more everything, all different. Yeah. So we get real perspective from the people who actually have to do the job. I do often say that there should be a requirement in the legislature that you should have at least run a laminated stamp <laughs> you know, as right. a prerequisite to take the job. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about another uh, aspect of this, not only kind of the running of the business, but also some of the contractual agreements that are made on behalf of the government to uh, some of the employees. So GSI did a recent report and we critiqued once again, to be honest with you, and I'm sure you followed along on this and the egregious abuse of retirement payouts for public yep. employees. And for too many years, public employees are able to walk out the door with $400,000 and more in golden parachutes. Now, you proposed a bill that prohibits the payment by the state, I think local government and boards of ed, any supplemental compensation to current or future. So in other words, going forward, not going back, but going forward in terms of current or future public employees who accumulate, you know, unused sick leave uh, earned after the effective date of the bill. So what do you think, Brian? Is there an appetite? by the majority party to even try to step up and address this once again? I think that what we're going to see in the next legislative session, if we don't get the majority as the Republicans, it's going to be closer. So I think there will be more of an appetite for this, quite frankly. The timing is there. And I don't see the harm in doing stuff going forward. I can see the harm in affecting people who took jobs and did things under a certain set of rules and conditions that they're playing by. But going forward, I don't see the harm in it. It becomes what people expect and it won't be a big deal. I'm much more of a proponent of if you have time available to use it. There's a lot of bureaucracy sometimes, and I just favored a bill actually for teachers to be able to use their time without having to jump through a whole bunch of hoops and justify it. Some of my opponents on my side of the aisle were against it. And I was like, man, if you have the time, just use it. And that's what I tell my employees at work too. I give you a certain amount of vacation time, a certain amount of personal time, sick time. I expect that you use it throughout the year. I feel the same thing with all these uh, public employees. It's there, use it. And if you don't use it, then it's it shouldn't become this golden parachute at the end. I can't agree with you more on, on both levels. One is, you know, I came out of the corporate world and 20 years ago, this whole idea of use it or lose it became how we did business. You had to use it by the first quarter of the following year or it's liquidated. Right. And it's not unreasonable and it's very current. And to your second point, the world changes, right? And we need to not live in the past because you know, you're much more sheltered as a government entity. You're sheltered from how the world changes, but, you know, the taxpayers aren't. And so you have to, I think, find that balance of those who are paying the bills and those who are making the decisions that cause the bills to stay current with what's going on in the world. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. And this is one thing that once it's changed a decade from now, yeah. they'll be like, what do we do once? That's crazy. Right. So it's it's just something we just got to rip the Band-Aid off, get it done, moving forward. No one will care. 
it'll be fine. Yeah. The taxpayers will benefit tremendously. So it, it's ironic because the people who may argue against this thing, they're paying for it anyway. Right. We're all paying for it. So it just benefits us fiscally. And it's just the, the normal, reasonable thing to do. So now let's talk about another constituency group, seniors. So you recently authored an op-ed posing direct property tax relief for senior citizens in New Jersey and something that clearly would be politically popular. In fact, I think you went so far as to call it disingenuous. And I think that took real political courage, which we all know you have, Brian. But this in particular did, you know, to question how a state who, my words, such a terrible financial outlook can pay for such a program going forward in all the future years. But seniors do need relief. I'd argue all New Jersey residents, you know, need relief. So let's uh, hear from you about what efforts you'll be leading going forward to make New Jersey more affordable for seniors and for all our residents. So let me just speak about the bill that went through a little bit, give some context to it. It was to give seniors basically a 50% property tax reduction for anybody 65 years of age and older. And it, it sounds awesome. And who wouldn't who would, want it, right? <laughs> yeah, who who wouldn't want it? Matter of fact, almost the entire legislature voted for it on both sides of the aisle. Many people, even on my side of the aisle, applauded it and wrote their own releases about how great it was and are putting it in mail today about how they voted for it. The bottom line is it's not a good bill. It's not even realistic. There's no way possible that this thing can ever be paid for. And I made the argument on the floor. There's one population in the state of New Jersey Jersey that is rapidly increasing, and that's our senior population. So even if the math made sense today, it will not make sense in five years. It will definitely not make sense in 10 years. And it is impossible. It'd be like the entire state budget in 20 years. It's just the population is growing very fast. The, the numbers don't add up. And so it's wrong to present this thing as something serious because it's really not. It's electioneering, and it's disgusting to me that they're doing it this way. And some of the logic behind it is the argument that seniors are leaving the state in droves. Again, that's not true. It's not true at all. Seniors do change their residency to Florida. They'll have a house in Florida sometimes and a house in New Jersey, and they will change their residency to Florida to avoid many of the other ridiculous taxes they're burdened with. But they're maintaining their New Jersey property. And seniors are not the out-migration category that we're dealing with in New Jersey. It's it's lower age population. I think it's 30 to 54 or something like that. That's the major out-migration from New Jersey. Because by the time you get to be 65, you know, you have kids and grandkids, and there's a reason why you're staying in New Jersey. So the logic behind it is flawed. The math is impossible. It's not a serious bill. It's not a serious thing. And I'm offended that they did it. And oh, by the way, for years, I've been trying to get property tax relief for disabled veterans and nobody would do it. And they voted down every time. And then they, they came up with this in a matter of weeks and pushed it through. To give a reduction in taxation without addressing the spending side, all you're doing is shifting the burden to either, you know, other taxpayers in that town or that jurisdiction, or to the state where they're going to have to come in and subsidize that you know, kind of a relief to any group. It doesn't matter who they are. And that it's a growing population, which actually I hadn't really thought about, but I understand the profile of our state. And I agree with you. That's going to be a growing liability. And you're doing nothing on the spending side. That's right. And I tried to explain to the progressives in the in the, in the chamber, I said, you're the people that you are often trying to protect are paying this bill. Right. 
every time somebody buys something at a grocery store and that they pay sales tax, they're paying for this. So I have no problem. And again, this kind of sometimes gets me um, dinged by the, the more conservative think tank groups out there. I have no problem helping people who need help. I don't vote against SNAP benefits stuff. I want to help people who need help. Just because you turn 65 doesn't mean you need help. You could be 65 and under this bill be making $500,000 a year and all of a sudden take 50% off your property taxes. That is stupid. And then there could be a young mother who is working two jobs and nobody cares in this case about that person because she's 30 and not 65. It's just insane. The whole concept is insane. Now, to your point, the way that we actually help seniors is by focusing on reducing the cost burden of this state so that the tax burden is lowered in general. That's how we help them. Because now you're not helping them from the time they're 65 until they're 85. You're helping them from when they're raising a family all the way through their whole life. Right. You're reducing the burden, the tax burden, and you're making it more affordable more reasonable. You're helping everybody out. So there's a lot of things we can do that are serious to help the population. I get mad when they do these things that are just fake. That's why I stand up against them. Like as an example, if we fully fund the school funding formula, property taxes will go down across the board. It's just a fact. And if property taxes go down across the board, you're helping the senior too. But you're not helping them with their property tax. And then all of a sudden we have to raise the sales tax. We have to raise the corporate business tax which is then going to translate to higher product costs when they go to the store. It's like pulling money out of one pocket, putting it in the other. Absolutely. I'd love to have you back on, really talk about areas for spending, you know, reforms that would actually improve the quality of life. You can reduce cost and improve customer satisfaction at the same time. You can reduce government and have a better operating government at the same time. No doubt. (laughs) I think we'll come back and talk about that another time. So let let me try and wrap up with you, Brian. You've been really generous with your time. I appreciate it. So there was a recent change in the district you represent. And based on the last census, your district changed from 25 to 26, as I recall. And simultaneously, the inverse occurred for Assemblyman Christian Barranco. He went to your old district. Now, how did the change, if at all, really impact how you approach campaigning, the issues you address, and the role you see yourself playing in the legislature going forward? Well, it changed big time. I mean, I was one of the most displaced members of the whole legislature. Um, I'm sure some people were giggling around a table when they when they saw that happen. So I had 21 towns. I kept three and then I got 13 new ones. The demographics certainly changed. The, the politics changed in those two districts. In the 26 districts, it is far more Republican than the old 25th district. So because of that, I had a lot of people come out against me in the primary, obviously, because the fight became, instead of a general election, fight became a primary election fight. So I had a real tough primary that I had to go through and spend a ton of money and a ton of time. And it ended up being successful, thank goodness. Now in the general election cycle, I'm focused more on helping everybody else. I have essentially spent no money on myself. And I'll either be a smart guy for doing that or the dumbest person in the entire legislature if I happen to lose, which I hope which I hope I don't. So I've been helping everybody else. As an example, I mean, I gave twenty two thousand dollars to the Assembly Republican Victory Pack to help them in LD4 and LD3 and LD38 and 16 and 11 to fight these key races. I'm hitting doors in LD38. I'm hitting doors in LD4. I'm helping out these others. So it's changed a little bit of the general election cycle for somebody like me from focusing on me to focusing on the party. I'm a little bit maybe of an anomaly. This is not gonna change me. It's not gonna change my 
policy position perspective. I'm not going to all of a sudden get further right because I can be. I'm going to just be me every day and vote how I want to vote on every bill and speak up about how I want to speak on every bill because I truly feel like I'm there to give the common sense kind of perspective in the legislature. And I'm not going to chase this job so much that I lose my individuality. And that can happen to people. I mean, I, I will sit around a table with people all who will say, well, my in my district, I have to do this. Mm. I don't like that. It's part of the reality, but it doesn't change me. So I, I feel like what people like the most about me, and I may be wrong, is that I'm just there to tell it like it is. Tell the truth, the normal everyday person's perspective. And quite often that is a, a mainstream, more middle of the road point of view. Yeah, there are probably a lot more people like you than not in the state. And they really appreciate, I think, your straightforwardness. Yeah, thanks. The politics of the district is going to change what I can do for others, how much I have to do for myself, when and where I have a fight. It'll be more of a primary fight. And I'll probably have one again in 2025, unfortunately. But if anything, it, it may embolden me a little bit to dig in a little bit more on some of them. Well, I look forward to it, Brian. <laughs> so Assemblyman Brian Bergen. State legislator, business owner, and veteran. We really appreciate all of your time and insights today on the GSI Briefing Podcast. And we hope we can have you back again to keep talking about what you're working on. I would love it. Thank you so much. The GSI Briefing is produced by the Garden State Initiative. For more information about GSI, visit us at gardenstateinitiative.org. And be sure to follow us on social media. Don't forget to subscribe to the GSI Briefing on the podcast platform of your choice. And please leave us a good rating. This is Regina Agia, and thank you for listening.